Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have to tell you about something that I saw today or heard today that chilled me. What? Okay, I was at the coffee shop getting a cup of coffee. Okay. And the person who got their mocha before I got my drip coffee said, appreciate you after he got his mocha. And I can't explain why, but I found that to be chaotic unlawful. Okay, I don't disagree. Now, look, I tell people I appreciate them, but not in that way and not for the coffee yet. I feel like uh, thank you so much would be fine. Or like appreciate it. Yeah. But appreciate you, it felt aggressive. It feels, and I agree with the chaos, chaos level like six out of 10. It was like, why do you, if so, if someone said that to me, I would be like, what? What are you talking? You don't even know me. Record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Alyssa. Appreciate you, Aaron. This week, we are joined by Amanda Nguyen, Julissa Arce, and Tian Tran to tackle the following questions. Where do you go to rewrite the law when the ones we have suck so much? What does it mean to change your last name? And can young adult romance save us from the doldrums of a summer of bad news? All this and more right now. All right. To start on a high note, we've got a really fun, positive guest, and we've got a really fun, positive conversation coming up. Um, So we're going to get through the news, which is not always fun and positive, but we're going to get through it anyway. So on Tuesday, 17 House Democrats were detained at an abortion rights rally outside of the Supreme Court. Um, They were protesting Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they were arrested by U.S. Capitol Police um, after they failed to follow three warnings to stop blocking a street in D.C. So they were were participating in unauthorized protests. Um, The 17 Democrats, I'm going to just say uh, a few of them have been hysteria guests before. And I'm just going to throw a little shine at them. Corey Bush, yep. former Hysteria guest. Ayanna Presley. Madeline Dean. Yes, love her. Pennsylvania's finest. I'm, I don't know. I'm shouting out Pennsylvania a lot today. I feel— It's a big day for Pennsylvania. It's a, bi- it's a big day for Keystone Pennsylvania. State. Yep. Ilhan Omar was, yep. was there, and she also was detained. There was also two Michigan reps, Andy Levin and Rashida Tlaib, who haven't been on Hysteria but would be welcome to. Andy Levin, notably, is a man, but was the only man arrested yeah. among the protesters. And so he's one of us. He's allowed. He is. He is. That's he's true. He's allowed. Um, Alyssa, what did you make of the demonstration and the arrests? I mean, good for them. You know, anything that keeps the spotlight on the issue is good. I'm not sure how much it moves the needle, you know, for the people whose minds need to be changed. But I think that it was Carolyn Maloney who said, there is no democracy if women do not have control over their own bodies and decisions about their health, including reproductive care. 
truer statement never spoken. So mm-hmm. good. I would I would expand and make that com- that that comment. She's she's right, but I think it's even bigger than people having control over their own bodies. It's about people having control over their families, even yes. people that are not. Uh, you know, can't get pregnant, aren't the ones reproducing. Like, if you are somebody who is, you know, if you're a guy married to a woman, this is something that impacts you. Mm-hmm. If you are people that, that you know, where you're married to somebody who could get pregnant uh, and you're having sex that could get somebody pregnant, like, this is something that impacts you. It's much bigger than elective abortion. Right. It's much bigger than just um, it's it's much bigger than a person choosing to end an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. It's about accessing reproductive health care for wanted pregnancies mm-hmm. and for things that can happen to people regardless of, you know, whether or not they're trying to have children. So right. it, it's um, it's it's uh, I, th- I think that that's something that we are now starting to talk about. And I've and I've noticed a kind of weaselly attempt to back out by anti-choice people to back away from what what they have done means and uh we can't let them back away like no. banning banning abortion means that people who are sexual assault survivors could be of any age could be forced to carry a pregnancy to term that's what that means it also yeah. means that there are people i think a couple stories this week where women who had ectopic pregnancies could not get abortions that they needed, even though the embryo fetus was not viable because it was outside the womb. Um, You know, doctors were refusing them care and they could have died. That is like the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, you know, we talk about miscarriage care. Yep. Uh, People who are carrying wanted pregnancies and um, miscarry those pregnancies um, need abortion care in order to, um, heal. Yes. And that's, that's part of the process of being treated for that condition in a lot of cases. And it is, uh, horrible, cruel, and inhumane for laws to make it more difficult for those people to access the care that they need. So, um, that's, that's something, you know what, those are the laws that are on the books. Those are what the bans do. That is in it. And, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is um, in Illinois, mm-hmm. and she's very smart. She works in a—she's a lawyer. She works for, you know, a law firm, and her boss did not understand that abortion bans impact miscarriage care. Whoa. Like, I think there are a lot of people still that don't understand, yeah. like, or are in Because they've never really had to. <laughs> right. Or they don't understand that—, that what abortion is, is the procedure that ends a pregnancy. Right. And it doesn't matter why you want it to end, you know, whether or not you right. wanted to end the pregnancy or not. It's a, it's a procedure that ends a pregnancy. And that's something that like people, I don't think people have grappled with. And, um, yeah, hospitals and doctors are really afraid of getting sued. So if there's any law at all that could like open them up to legal jeopardy, they're not going to even try to play with it. You right. Know? Like, they're 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 not being sued in a lot of cases is more important to them than doing what's right by they, their patients. Um, I wanted to talk really quickly about an op-ed that was in the New York Times this week that I found extremely interesting. It was written by Dove Fox, a law professor at the University of San Diego School of Law and director of that school's Center for Health Law Policy and Bioethics. 
And Mr. Fox wrote that if it is allowed for medical providers to conscientiously object to providing care for patients, then why can't medical providers conscientiously object by providing care? It was one of the greatest things I'd read because that honestly had not crossed my mind. And it's such an incredible point. Even if someone at the CVS, for example, can deny you getting abortion drugs because they don't believe in it, well, why can't someone give you the drugs if they think you deserve it? Like, if they think it is within your right, if they think it is their duty to provide that level of care for you. It is incredible Mm -hmm. that it works only one way currently. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why can't a medical practitioner provider's conscience dictate that they provide you care against the law? Yeah. If it is their right to say like, no, we can't give you a DNC for this missed miscarriage that you're having uh, at a Catholic hospital. It's a really important question. And I'd like to see more providers actually take that stance. Although, yes. It's a lot to ask of people that are already really burned out and put in harm's way. And so what I would like to see is legal organizations that provide aid and support to people who stand up against unjust laws to back medical providers who make the decision to do this. Yeah. Also seems like something lawmakers could do. Get in the game, peeps. I mean, I respect the demonstrating outside the Supreme Court and being willing to be detained by Capitol Police. I respect that. I could have done without the, like, handcuff cosplay, but, you know, let's—that was silly. But I do respect that they're putting themselves out there and keeping it, you know, at the forefront. Yes. But what I would like to see is more of progressives, Democrats, people who are pro-choice going on offense. Yes. Like, pass some fucking wacky laws. We've talked about this. Like, get out there. Try it. Just shoot your shot, guys. Yes. Now is the time to shoot your shot. They've been shooting their shot for 50 years, and they they finally got it. Right. So let's fucking go. Yeah. But also, to our listeners... If people are actually doing cool stuff like this in your state, tell us. Like we talked Mm -hmm. a couple episodes ago about how, for example, Massachusetts was trying to prevent long arm laws where people could ever be sued or taken to court or arrested, whatever, in their own state for going to Massachusetts to get an abortion. So if people are doing good things, let us know, too, because these laws seem like you could pass something that says you're allowed to if you can exercise your conscience for withholding. Why not for providing? It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Conscientious providers. Conscientious providers. Indeed. Um, And here's something that actually kind of, it's not a good story because it came from such a cascade of terrible stories, but it is a satisfying counter move by somebody within a, a terrible Uh, set of news stories. So the Indianapolis doctor who provided abortion care to a 10-year-old Ohio rape victim and spoke to the media about it took a legal step on Tuesday to start possibly filing a defamation lawsuit against the attorney general of Indiana, Todd Rokita, who was a little bit high on the smell of his own farts the other week. Um, (laughs) And went on Fox News to sling some kind of wild speculation about Dr. Uh, Caitlin Bernard about uh, her capacity as a medical provider and her uh, doing the proper thing and providing proper care. Um, (laughs) The AG of Indiana was going on Fox and just kind of saying, like, you know, we're looking into whether or not she reported. Yeah, she did. She did. 
the thing is, she did. She did do exactly what she was supposed to do, and there is no established history of her failing to report anything. So those things are what we call lies. Lies. Uh, lies. Very irresponsible lies. And um, that's the sort of thing that you sh- you can't really do. Not, not just screaming it out loud on TV. It's a problem. No. No, no. He had a little bit. He was a little bit over his skis. um, As they say. A.G. Rokita. Yes, indeed. So um, there has been a notice of tort claim against Rokita filed. And uh, basically, this could be a lawsuit against the A.G. of Indiana. A bad story that ends with a story of somebody fighting back in a way that feels very good. And it's, it's, we're on... Dr. Caitlin Bernard's side, we are looking forward to what happens here, and we hope that this serves as a lesson for other Republican AGs that they can't just go on Fox News and run their fucking mouths yeah. without there being some sort of legal blowback. Because facts matter. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that guy indeed. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have an interview that I am really excited about. Can't wait for all of our listeners to hear. And welcome back. Alyssa, I'm excited about our guest today. This is going to be fun. I am very excited. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of RISE, a civil rights accelerator that empowers everyday citizens to write laws. She's gathered public attention as a sexual assault survivor and Asian American and Pacific Islander activist. She's also a 2019 Nobel Peace Prize nominee. What? Yeah. And a former Forbes 30 under 30 honoree. Welcome to Hysteria, Amanda Nguyen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, Amanda, before we get into the questions, we need to talk about the fact that you're 31 years old. So you're out of 30 under 30 range. Like you've graduated. (laughs) I'm 30, but you know what? Yes, I am out of it. (laughs) You have to aim for the 40 under 40 lists or once you hit 40, 40 over 40, but I'm sure there'll be like new lists for you to make as you you age into them. But you also graduated from Harvard with a focus on national security and astrophysics. Yes. Uh, Do you ever look at your fellow millennials and think lazy? (laughs) No, No, I mean, I just did things because I like it. And I think we're multitudes. You know, everybody wants like one label. What are you? You know? So I'm like, I don't know. I'm just whatever I feel like that day. You honestly, your your background sounds like you have the bio of like a character Sandra Bullock would play in a movie <laughs> about like the apocalypse, but somehow we were able to stop it using like science and, you know, yes, and being good looking and somehow also Bill Pullman and like he would be <laughs> amazing. I aspire to be that character. So thank you. You're bringing in all the chaos movies, Aaron. <laughs> I, yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's Twister. It's Independence Day. Um, so for our listeners, Amanda, who aren't already familiar with Rise, can you talk to us a little bit about the organization and your mission? Yeah, absolutely. So Rise started nearly eight years ago. We are a civil rights accelerator. Basically what that means is there are a bunch of tech accelerators all over the United States, right? Where entrepreneurs, after getting vetted and accepted into these programs, get seed funding and then mentorship to create their startup. And that doesn't exist for activists. What I realized was one, it was really lonely for me when I started my activism journey and it came from a very personal place. So I was raped and I went through the criminal justice system process and I found that there were 
a lot of things that were stacked against rape survivors in the process, like a few things, the evidence that's collected could be destroyed uh, before the statute of limitations was up, before it was tested. Um, in my case in Massachusetts, it was a six month deadline, even if the statute of limitations was 15 years. In New York, before our law was there, um, 30 days before it was destroyed. So um, in some places, the police won't give you um, your police report. Uh, you won't be able to get access to your medical records from the hospital examination. Um, so all these things I thought were wrong, decided to do something about it. That was the start of RISE. I literally sent out an email to everyone I knew. I was like, hey, can you help me write a law? And mm -hmm. uh, that's how RISE started. Um, and then we ended up passing, we've passed 55 laws now. <laughs> 55 wow. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but we also realized that there were so many people with different issues who want to write, you know, laws want to be part of the legislative process, but just literally didn't know where to start. So that's what we do at RISE. We train people how to pen their own rights into existence. And we give them seed funding. Okay, Amanda, you just said that you guys have passed or changed 55 laws. Yeah. How do you do that in this clusterfuck of a legislative system? Yeah. yeah. A lot of meditation, a lot of <laughs> screaming into a pillow. <laughs> These are all real things. Um, gosh, like what we did was we, you know, teach people the rules that people don't know about. So for instance, like basics, right? What committee is your bill going to be assigned to? And who are the gatekeepers? Who is the agenda setter, right? Instead of targeting the entire Congress, let's target very, you know, with surgical precision, who the levers of decision makers are so that your bill can go through. And the 55 laws are also on the state level. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's, um, we do both state and uh, federal work, but it's helping people navigate that because so often I've seen different activists just reinvent the wheel. There's also real talk, a lot of um, negative turf energy within the like activism community. You know, it's very zero sum and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, our liberation is bound together. And so one thing that we really emphasize within RISE is this community building aspect. You know, I'm working on this for my community. You're working on this for your community, but we can do this together and strengthen both of our communities. What went into developing your Hopeonomics curriculum? Um, honestly, I wanted to find a way to make it less intimidating for activists to, you know, from the beginning of the process of penning a law, feel like they can actually do it. So Hopeonomics is both gamification of the legislative process and national security theory. <laughs> I basically pulled from Graham Allison's um, theory of how to deal with dictators and just applied it to politicians. Fuck. <laughs> different. Um, so that's that part. But um, Hopeonomics is our theory teaching activists not what to think, but how to play the game. And what we do with the legislative process is we break it down into different levels, right? Like when you're playing a game, there are a couple aspects. One, there's a very quick return of investment of your energy, you're like plus one life, plus one strength, you know, like ding, ding, ding. So like, how do you get people to still be um, invested without having burnout? 
um, by breaking it down into different sections. You also, in games, never meet like the big final boss. You skills build along the way. And so for us, you know, level one is just like talking to your, your first representative all the way up to like level six, which is like you've passed out of a chamber, you've passed out of the Senate, you know? So like you level up along the way. Um, and it's really amazing because at the end, you win your game by having the governor or you know, the president sign your bill into law. And there are all of these amazing, we call them risers affectionately, all these amazing risers who are standing at the bill signing ceremony. You know, they're looking over, you know, the executive person who's signing it. They've won their game. And so at that point, when they finish their game, they're given a choice to return to rise, to return to the game as a coach to now be paired with a new organizer that goes along the game. So that's how we build community too. Wow. Very cool. Um, you've been working to champion a United Nations resolution that seeks to enshrine access to justice for sexual assault survivors worldwide. What are some of the components of that resolution and how would it impact the everyday run-of-the-mill person who has survived? We're literally talking right now as the United Nations is calling my team. And it's, we are, it's been six, seven years up to this point. Look, I thought that Congress was hard. Wow, 193 member states, um, that's difficult and we're so close. So this United Nations General Assembly resolution is born out of the first law that we passed. So when President Obama signed the Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights, we heard from over a million people from around the world. They wrote in saying, I'm a survivor. Uh, this really resonates with me or, you know, we've been working on this in my country, you know, we'd love to team up together. Um, and the effort was created for this universal survivor bill of rights uh, because of the need at the time the world is going through a moment of reckoning. Right. And um, the United Nations General Assembly has never passed a resolution that recognizes rape in peacetime. Mm. That's essentially what this is. So much of the resolution text that has been negotiated over is literally different member states just fighting for their mention to be recognized with their work in it. So, you know, in terms of the teeth of the resolution, it is literally fighting for the most bare bones basic thing, which is recognize our rapes. Um, you know, in particular, the reason why this whole effort started was one survivor reached out. She's now our lead, you know, campaigner. Um, and her story is something that she's talked about publicly. She wants to be shared. So she's an American citizen that was raped in Japan by somebody from a third country. And because universal jurisdiction doesn't exist and because there's no standard operating procedure for this, all governments said, sorry there's nothing we can do. Right. And so it's not only about, yes, recognizing that our rapes matter, but it's also these situations where these horrific things happen and we are falling through the cracks. Um, so hopefully when this passes in the next couple of days, <laughs> for the first time on the world stage, um, rape survivors will be recognized and you know, we wrote in the resolution for this to be a recurring one. So my goal is just as other world leaders are talking about different hot button issues all the time. You see world leaders now talk all about 
you know, climate change. And that wasn't true like 20 years ago, right? That is, those are my like role models. You know, the people, activists who have worked for that point. I want every single um, world leader in a couple of years to talk about rape. And I know that sounds so taboo, but like check in in a couple of years. I may not be, you know, 40 under 40, but <laughs> I hope every single world leader is going to be talking about this. Amanda, you've talked about how change is incremental, but also how you are a pathological optimist. Do you get impatient? How do you maintain all that hope and drive? Yeah. Um, certainly there are days which feels like a garbage dumpster fire and I hold on very tightly to what gives me hope and those are our organizers, our risers that show up every day to organize. Despite what's going on in the, like, on the TV or like in the political theater, there are people all across the United States who are going through step by step, level by level, and engaging on the ground, grassroots activism. Um, and it works, you know? And so that, that certainly gives me hope. So whose activism from the past or younger generations inspires your work, apart from the climate activists that you mentioned? Um, like, what reading do you recommend for people interested in doing this sort of community and legal work? Well, I have to give a shout out to Elisa Garza. She is a mentor of mine. And when Stop Asian Hate happened, when my video went super viral, I reached out to her and asked for her advice. And I'm so grateful, you know? Um, Stop Asian Hate wouldn't have happened without Black Lives Matter. So anything that she writes, I definitely recommend. Awesome. Amanda, this was so much fun. Seriously. We need, we need you to come back. I, you, your energy is infectious. Mm -hmm. I, I feel yeah. as though I'm going to get up and run through a wall. Uh, in a, in like the, like a Kool-Aid man of positivity. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Come back again. And we will be keeping an eye on this, uh, big UN moment that you are about to have. And oh my gosh, thank you. keep us in the loop with stuff you're working on. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. 
Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Alyssa, I feel like you and I have wanted to talk about this for a long time. I'm so excited. We've all just got so many opinions on this at the ready. And I also feel when I start talking about it that I just kind of reflexively try to hedge against people thinking I'm judging them. Yes. Like, and so I just, you know, just going to preface this entire conversation by saying like, do what you want. No judgment. We do do what you want. Do what you want. Nobody. I am not going to come into your house and be like you, stupid bitch, and like <laughs> burn your driver's license or whatever. I who has the time? And you can still be part of the hysteria club. You're not getting yes. kicked out. There is no reason. Like it's an individual choice. But we're just going to talk about why people make that individual choice without casting aspersions mm-hmm. on people who made different choices than we did. So I, I, it's annoying that I feel like I even need to preface, but I, I feel like I do because the internet is a bad faith machine and uh, <laughs> just trying to get out in front of it. So let's bring in our two panelists who are going to talk with us about Jennifer Lynn Affleck and uh, what changing your name means in this day and age. So first, she's our very own champagne supernova, who is currently <laughs> working on season two of How I Met Your Father. Tian Tran, welcome to Hysteria. Hello. Oh, it's so good to be back and to see you all. Uh, how's everything going? I saw you were doing table reads and stuff. Yeah, we just started on Monday and things are going, I mean, it's it feels like summer camp. It's like seeing all your friends that you got to hang out with for several months and now you're back and you get to do like the fun project that you've been working on. So it feels really, really cool. Have you learned anything new about this season that you're like, oh my gosh. They really don't tell us. I'm like getting scripts the week before we shoot. So like, I I don't really know. Okay. Well, my theory that Ellen is the father is still alive. I mean, it then. better be. <laughs> Uh, up next her new book you sound like a white girl the case for rejecting assimilation is out now go buy the book Julissa Arce welcome to Hysteria I am so excited to be here Um, and I feel like now I need to add the too controversial book you sound like a white girl because apparently people think my book is controversial it's a long story it's maybe I'll talk about it when the I feel petty situation but also I'm coming to you from Mexico City so I am in the motherland (laughs) oh 
so jealous. Mexico City is an incredible place. Love it. Yeah, I love it here. I've done nothing. I've just like walked outside, gone to the corner, gotten some amazing food, walked to another oh. corner, gotten more amazing food, and then walked <laughs> around a couple blocks to like try to burn it all off. It's been great. <laughs> that sounds like a whole lot of amazing, if you ask me. Yeah, it's like a circle yes. of goodness. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've been to Mexico City once, but it was awesome. And I went to the Anthropological Museum. Mm. And I remember going into, it's like a complex. It is yeah. one of the most incredible museums I've ever seen. I, I made it through like one building and I was there almost an entire day. And there's like so, there's so many buildings. It is like, it's so cool. Um, well, yeah, enjoy yourself in in De Efe. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's talk about uh, the thing we're going to talk about today. Let's get into it. So uh, Jennifer Lopez got married. She got married to Ben Affleck, which wow, love is not only real, <laughs> but it's love is surprising. You know, I feel like sometimes when you when there are couples that you're like, I don't understand how that works. Those are the realist couples. Because you're like, something is going on between the two of them that is like beyond my comprehension. And um, they're making it work. I think they broke up for 17 years. Yeah. Got married again. I got married. And now she's Jennifer Affleck instead of Jennifer Lopez. She has gone from, you know, um, a name that that evokes the image of a talented performer, choreographer, and entrepreneur to a name that when I hear it, when in the second between hearing it and understanding who it refers to, I'm picturing like a, a Pennsylvania mom. <laughs> oh, that's not where I thought you were going. Do you know what I think of when I hear it? What do you think of the when you hear Aflac Jennifer Affleck? commercial? Yeah, that's what that's I thought. Dumb, right? yeah. I'm like, okay. why would she take the name to say Affleck? <laughs> I had no idea that her middle name was Lynn. No. Now we know. Now we know. At least she can be J-Law. <laughs> mm, that doesn't quite work. And also, <laughs> I know we're going to get into this conversation. And I love that the preface was like really lengthy and, and, and detailed. So I love that <laughs> part. But also I saw this meme and I think this is an important warning. Which is that just because Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck got, re- got to back together and got married does not mean you should go back to your crusty old boyfriend. <laughs> No, 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 that would be terrible. Yeah. 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 You you don't want to meet them again, like in two intersecting downward spirals. You know, you want to meet them in two upward trajectories that re-intersect. Yeah. And that's, that's not that common. Um. Well, Julissa, what did you make of Jennifer Lopez changing her name to Jennifer Affleck? Was that surprising to you? You know, it was surprising because J-Lo is just such an iconic name. It just says so much. Like J-Lo. You say J-Lo, you immediately know who it is. It doesn't need any more explanation. And I was a little bit shocked, um, especially after seeing her documentary and just kind of seeing how like mm. empowered she has become. Not that she wasn't already, but but I think that documentary really kind of gave a glimpse into all the professional struggles that she's had and how she's really had to stand up for herself. I mean, I should say that I legally did change my name to my married name. So I say that 
Because what I'm about to say is that I'm almost a little bit like, it felt almost like a little bit of a betrayal. Mm. <laughs> but then like I changed my name. So to mm-hmm. your point, like who am I to be like, it's a betrayal to everything I know about JLo. But it was surprising. For sure, it was surprising. I was not expecting that one. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting to me whenever I think about name changing. Um, like, so it's traditional that in the U.S. and in the U.K. that when a person gets married, the woman changes her last name to the husband's last name. But that's been getting less popular. I think in the U.S. now 70% of women who marry men change their last name to their husband's last name. 70%, I mean, 30% don't. I I didn't uh, because I hate paperwork. Um, but also I was like 30 seven when I got married. Right. And it was like, I've been this person for 37 mm-hmm. years. I'm not, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, Tian, I wonder what you think of the tradition of a woman in a hetero marriage changing their last name and like how you've observed that sort of changing. Yeah. I mean, you know, when my partner and I get married, I feel like we would take the last names of our ex-boyfriends. Um, <laughs> just to, just to honor them, I think, you know, a life, a life that was different, a, a different life that we could have had. So that's, that's what so I, chaotic. So, <laughs> it's awesome. So that's what we'll be doing. Um, you know, I, I, I find it really interesting. I, I, I think most of my friends who are like straight cis and married to a man have not taken their husband's last name. And it almost feels like when someone does, I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, oh, it feels like we're back in the 90s. Like (laughs) it feels very, I, I know it's like a choice for everyone, obviously. And like, I really do believe in like anyone choosing the name that feels good to them, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But in the context of marriage and like patriarchal ownership of like lines and family lines, like it is interesting, but I still, I'm seeing more of a change of like, yeah, people don't do that as often. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to, that's fine. I, I have had queer friends who have decided to take their partner's last names, which I always thought was very interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um and I've never confronted them to be like, why'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's really I think that's really interesting because it's like there are reasons that you can theoretically parse out from the like, you know, patriarchal history of yeah. marriage. Like you want family unity. You want everyone in the family to have the yes. same last name. But, you know, whose last name? I feel like it's a little bit harder to do that in the context of like straight marriage than it is. Yeah with like a same-sex marriage. Alyssa, what do you make of the whole name change issue? Well, I'm like you. I think I got married when I was like 38. And at that point, like my mom, my mom's maiden name was Mendy, which is my middle name. And when she married my dad and became Master Monaco, she was like, Jesus Christ. She's like with this name. And so (laughs) she, this is back when catalogs were a thing, right? Like you didn't have the internet. And so I went to kindergarten and nursery school spelling my name, Master Monaco, M as in Mary, A, S as in Sam, T-R-O, M as in Mary, O, N as in Nick, A as in Apple, C-O. Okay, like I can't give that up. I can't change after all those years of of spelling my name exactly that way. You put in the work. I have put in the work. And I just felt like I'm Alyssa Master Monaco. 
Also, I think that my first name had become so common that I felt like if I changed my last name, people would think I was younger because most Alyssas are like in their 20s. So (laughs) I was like, I'm just Alyssa Master Monaco. That's how it is. And I, I also had had a friend who's my age and she got married in her 20s. She was one of my only friends who got married in her 20s and she changed her name. And you guys, this is a true fucking story. She got divorced. She changed her name. She got divorced. And by the time she reclaimed legally her maiden name, her ex-husband had twins and a new wife. So like that just felt like a cautionary tale that (laughs) she like to have to drag around that last name when he's like moved on with his life and she's trying to pay this Commonwealth of Massachusetts 400 bucks to get her name back. It's just like, Mm. no, you don't get no, 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 not putting myself in that position ever. Oh, gosh. Julissa, as as somebody who has gone through the process of legally changing your name, can you walk us through, like, what it entails? And also, like, if you had a friend who was about to get married, uh, a, a female friend who's about to marry a man, and they were like, I don't know if I want to change my name. What are the pros and cons? Like, what would you say to her? Okay. So I should say that in my marriage license, I added Fernando's You added name. your name. Right. Which mm-hmm. is a tradition in a lot of like Latin American countries and in Spain. Yeah. So I became Julissa Natalie Arce Raya. So I added Raya as my last name in my marriage license four years ago. But I have yet to actually go through the process <laughs> changing my name. Okay, there we oh, go. Okay. Wow, let's, we're making let's news. That. We're making news here today. <laughs> so I have not actually like gone through the process of going through because so I got this like kit and it was something like you pay 120 bucks and they send you all the stuff that you need to change your name. But really it was like they just printed out all the forms that I needed to fill out and just mail them to be in one envelope. So it was a waste of money. But that's why I haven't done it because I need to go to the Social Security Administration. So that's like the first step. So you can change your name on your Social Security card. And then from there, I can go change my driver's license and my passport and my global entry and TSA because all of those things, you have to go back to interviews to like get a new one because somehow it doesn't like transfer if you've changed your name. It seems like it's a very long process, which is why I haven't like gone through it. Um, I was married before and had also changed my name, but that time it was a lot easier because it was when I was like getting my green card and stuff. So it was like really easy to just like be this person in the US because it's like I didn't Mm -hmm. exist before. And Mm -hmm. so it was like I existed under this new name. And then when I became a citizen, I had the opportunity, you can change your name. So I just went back to my maiden name when I became a citizen. So I feel like the times when I have changed my name, legally it it's been easier than like this time around where like I actually like I exist I've existed in the United States now for a few years and now I will change it like I've I've changed it on the marriage license I want to be Julissa Natsali Arcerraya but the process is really long and there just hasn't really been a good reason. And we've been in lockdown. And so it takes like way longer than, than it normally would anyways. And until I have children, if I have children, then I don't really feel like I need to go through the process. Mm-hmm. So would you tell somebody who came to you and they were like, should I do it? Should I not do it? What would you say to them? I would say, 
do what you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's like a dangerous piece of advice to give, you know, like, because I I don't know. I think it really comes down to like, okay, so like the reason I wanted to change my name or take Fernando's last name, I think it has a lot to do with how I view marriage. And I feel like when we got married, it was sort of, especially getting legally married, right? It was like, we're choosing to like legally bind our lives. We're choosing to like make our lives come together in like a legal way, in a financial way. And so to me, it sort of, Taking his name was sort of an extension of of that process. Um, but if somebody views marriage differently, like they might not feel like they need to change their name, right? And I also got married when I was 35 and and I have been Julissa Arce. So like in my books, it's still Julissa Arce on the front cover. And then when you open it up to the title page, then you see my my Arce Raya name. And mm-hmm. so I'm still like Julissa Arce everywhere. But I do, for me, it was also a lot about kids. Like I want to have the same last name as my kids and I want my kids to have my maiden name also, which I just want to have all of us to have like the same last name. Like I don't want my kids to not have the same name I have. Yeah, that's really interesting because like I kind of kicked the can down the road when I just didn't change my last name when I got married. But then like when we were going to have a kid, it was like, well, whose last name is the baby going to have? And we went with my husband's last name. And I think if we have another one, we might give the other one my last name. Everybody's going to have different last names. <laughs> Out of fairness. No, I, I, but I also think like in, in retrospect, there's something to be said for everybody in the family having the same last name because we haven't tried to travel together yet. Mm-hmm. And for, mm-hmm. she doesn't look like me. She's she got white. She's got white hair. <laughs> she does not look like me. And so it will be it, it might be a little bit dicey to travel with her with a different last name unless I have yeah. like some kind of letter like being like this is this this woman had a, a baby that looks like the Gerber baby despite <laughs> being a full on brunette. Um, but yeah, I think that's something to be said. I, I've also heard of people who, when they get married, will choose a neutral last name that's, like, a new last name for the family. Hmm. What do you make of that? Do you think that that, like, Tian, what do you what do you make of people who, like, choose, would you and your partner ever do that, choose a new last name? You know, for, mm, no, we always joke about, we always joke about doing, like, a portmanteau of our <laughs> last names. But for me, I don't want to change my last name because, like, being in an interracial relationship, I want to, like, hold on to like the cultural aspects of my last name, which is why I was kind of surprised that Jennifer Lopez changed her last name just because my sisters, when they got married, changed their last names. And I feel like it, it not lost, but there is a little bit of like, you know, there Mm -hmm. isn't that sort of like Vietnamese surname Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. as part of their names. And because of that, that those names aren't being like trickled down to my nieces and nephews. So like, that hurts my heart in a little a, a little bit, but I know people have very like complicated and very personal reasons to to not do that. But for me, per, like I would I want to keep my last name because it is, you know, uh, for me the most visible identity thing in uh, when people meet me to see that that like I'm Vietnamese. Um I have other issues with my name and just like anglifying it, which I try to push back against. Like, Tian is not the correct pronunciation of my name. Mm-hmm. It's actually Tian. Tian. And like, Tien. it's Tian. 
Yeah. Which I've like played with wanting to return to, but like not knowing how to do that. Because when I moved to Erie, Pennsylvania in fifth grade, I was the new kid and I was like the only Asian kid and all these little white kids were like messing up my name. And so one kid was like, TN, like TNT, dynamite. And I was like, that feels like a positive spin (laughs) (laughs) on my new kidness. Okay. So like, I think I went all the way around, Aaron, to your question. But like for people who want to, I feel like do whatever you want. Like combine, make a new last name if that feels good to you. If you want to do that, like, I think in our little doc, someone had changed their last name to something that they love to do, which is Lizard Lover. And I'm, I'm all for that, you know? Like, if that's what you want to be <laughs> identified as, more power to you. Right. It's It seems as though the positives for changing your name are, like, everyone in the family has the same last name. Um and uh, if you want, you know, your marriage to reflect a view of marriage, like you said, Julissa, that that is uh, one where you are now like a family unit. But there's also, you know, negatives. A, for me, paperwork, laziness. <laughs> um, if you have lived a long life with a last name where you have a professional association with it, it, it there's some repercussions possibly to changing your last name and mm-hmm. using a new last name. Um, I think people will recognize Jennifer Affleck when she is. Uh, but but I also think the whole. No, I don't know. I wonder if she's going to be like me though. Like she kind of like, oh, I'm like Jennifer Affleck. But is she going to actually change it? Like, is she going to change her Instagram handle? You know? Yeah. Oh. I read that she's not. That okay. Professionally, I'm she, like stage, stage name wise, she's going to stay. J-Lo. Jennifer Lopez. Because I think it'd be weird to be like, man, Jennifer Affleck's halftime show was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Affleck at halftime is is giving you legal advice uh, if you are about to sue your employer. I feel like she's yeah. an employment lawyer for sure. Jennifer Damn. Affleck. I don't know that I actually am pronouncing Affleck correctly or it, it, it like it like I actually have to think about how do I say this name correctly. We're like Lopez. Like I can say Lopez, so I <laughs> like the fact that I could say somebody famous is who means mm-hmm. a lot to the community last name. You know, mm-hmm. and now I'm like fuck. Like now I have to like okay, here's another name. I don't know if I'm pronouncing correctly, and now I have to think about it. And Jennifer Lopez is just it just goes mm-hmm. goes. Yeah. It really goes. It really does it go. It really goes. And you know the thing is like the changing your name thing isn't necessarily traditional everywhere. Uh we mm-hmm. we've mentioned that before but like in the Islamic world it's customary for a woman to keep her own surname after she gets married. In Greece it's illegal for That's women something. to Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I like I studied in Greece and I don't know if it's changed. I'm sure it's changed since 2004. But in Greece, there are some things that are so like, huh, they're still doing this. And then you find out something like <laughs> that it's illegal for a woman to change her last name. In Greece, in the middle of movies, they would stop the movie like a regular length movie. They would stop it halfway through building an intermission so everyone could go smoke in the lobby. That's like that's Greek. That that was one of those things wow. where I was like, huh. But yeah, um, you can't change your last name. Um, in in France, it's a little bit. Uh, 
you can you can choose to take each other's last name for social purposes, but you can't legally change your last name. Um, in Italy, it's also a little bit hairy. In the Netherlands, um, you can't change your last name. In Japan, you must change your last name. So it's like it it it's it's different around the world. I do want to get into some of the the wacky uh, last name changes that have happened. Um, some people. Oh, also, it's I uh, wanted to touch on the fact that. One reason to change your last name is like a religious conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. If you change faiths and you would like your name to reflect, um, you know, the faith that you are now a member of, then that's something that people choose to do. There's a man in New Zealand who lost a bet and he changed his name too. Full Metal Havoc, more sexy and intelligent than Spock and all the superheroes combined with Frost Nova. That's what he changed his his name to. And he discovered that it had been accepted when his passport expired. And he went to reapply. (laughs) He felt that he had legally changed his name upon losing a bet. So, you know, there are people that that take their names very seriously. (laughs) And then there's Full Metal Havoc, more sexy and intelligent than Spock and all the superheroes combined with Frost Nova, (laughs) who did not take it very seriously. I will say that as we've discussed once you've changed your name, it's very difficult to get your old name back. Hmm. Um, so that is uh, that is something. Um, before we take a break and get into uh, our sanity corners for this week, I wanted to talk about like witness protection. That's another reason oh, yes. that people would change their names. Yeah. So if you're in protective custody because you are snitching on someone who did crimes and is dangerous. Um, you're given a new name. <laughs> and this is like a fun mental exercise, I think, in general. Um, like, what would you change your name to if you were in witness protection? Like, it has to be, it has to be like kind of uh, not super noticeable, but also not noticeable in how super unnoticeable it is. So, Alyssa, have you ever thought about your witness protection name? What would you name yourself? Yeah, I think I would name, name myself Robin. Robin. And then I'd let my friends I call me Robbie. Right? Doesn't oh. doesn't that feel I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. I think that Robin was on the short list of names uh when I was in my mother's womb. And I don't know, it's always mm-hmm. kind of felt close. It's always felt close. I think I'd be Robin. What do you have a last name? Yeah, last name. Oh, Robin, Robin. my last name? I don't know. I might go something like hardcore ethnic Italian that's not Master Monaco. So like Robin Calcavecchia, something like that. Whoa, that's an incredible name. <laughs> yeah, that's like too spicy for witness. Wait, protection. this is wait, this is gonna this is gonna make Jaleesa laugh because it's so terrible. But when I was younger and would go to bars and men would very infrequently talk to me, none of them were ever good. And so my my bar name was Paloma. Look at this Ooh, face like and Paloma. imagine passing as someone named Paloma. But I Paloma. did it with reckless abandon in Chelsea. <laughs> that wow. is a great name. That, I love that's it. That's a really good name. That's good. What was, Rob, what was it, Robin? Calcavecchia. That's... If I met you, I'd, I would be like, she's snitched on someone. <laughs> <laughs> this lady is in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> she is. She absolutely said something. Took down a kingpin. I'm saying, I am not, I'm staying away from this moment. (laughs) Tian, what would your like witness protection name be? Full Metal Havoc. (laughs) 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 No, you know, I never thought about it. And I think it's because all the Vietnamese names I know are all of my family members. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I feel like I need to do some deep research on some names beyond my aunts, uncles, cousins, and sisters. God, probably change my last name to Nguyen because it would oh. be it's very it's very popular, easy to just you know. But I don't know what I don't know what my first name would be. Mm. I gotta think about that. Yeah, mm. you never know. Witness protection could happen to any of us. I know. I need. I need to think about that. Well, I mean, I don't know that I will ever be in witness protection because if I witness something, you don't know. You could witness a yeah. crime. I would do the like Homer backing into the hedges. I would be like, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just go with Tina Nguyen, which is my sister's ghostwriter name. Oh, I was going to say because <laughs> then people would be like. That's too close. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. (laughs) That's good. Julissa, what would your witness protection name be? Okay, so side story. Um, (laughs) So the cops came to my house the other day um, because— So when we bought this house, there were no solar panels on this house. And apparently there were solar panels there before. And then nobody knows what happened to the solar panels. And so the police came to do a report so that the previous owner can file like a stolen solar panels report or something. But so when the cops came, a bunch of my neighbors were outside. And I seriously was like, oh my God, the entire neighborhood's going to think I'm the neighborhood snitch. And I was very (laughs) worried. (laughs) So I very loudly was like, I did not call you. (laughs) I had not been the one to call the cops. Um, But okay, so I think my my parents, both of my parents always would tell me, um, they always would tell me, yeah, like what other names they would have called me. You know, like my dad would always Mm -hmm. be like, oh, he wanted to name me Julia. Um, And then my mom always wanted to name me Luisa Fernanda. Um, and so I feel like I would, my name, my new name would have to be something like Julia Rene, like, because my dad always wanted to be named Rene. That's saucy. Mm -hmm. Julia Rene, um, Garcia or something, you know, like some other very like, because my, my, my last name, both Arce and Raya are not, are not like the most common Latino Mm. last names or like Spanish last names. Um, so I feel like I was just need to go full on. Latino yeah. name, you know, like Garcia or Lopez. <laughs> mm-hmm. If JLo doesn't want it, you'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it in my witness protection. <laughs> I've, I've thought about it before, and I think that there is like a big overlap between like fake the, the bar name and the witness protection name, because in a way your fake bar name is a witness protection name. You know, it needs to be like a yep. believable name that you would respond to mm-hmm. um and uh that that wouldn't be too difficult or memorable for people like if they saw you again they wouldn't be like oh i remember that person's name so like my fake bar name used to be rachel and um <laughs> yeah i have a cousin i have a cousin named rachel and um yeah my fake bar name is rachel and i would probably pick like a last name that was common, like where I grew up, like Anderson, like Rachel Anderson. Oh, because yeah. it's it's like not. I can see you as a Rachel. Yeah, Anderson. I can see that too. Thank it you. works. Um, it works, but it's like not because it's like not. It's not John Doe. It's it's not like I'm Jane Smith. You know, right. so like if you meet someone named Jane Smith, you're like that's not your name. Like that's that's yeah. that's fake. But um, if you meet somebody named Rachel Anderson, you're like going to forget that name immediately. 
but you're also like not going to think that it is a deliberately nondescript name. So that's good. So probably that. I also think I went to college with somebody named Rachel Anderson, but I don't remember her. There you so. go. She's probably in witness protection. Yeah, she yeah, might she have was. Been. She went. She's in witness Rachel, protection. Rachel, hope you're not listening. Yeah, so she, she went. Remember you. <laughs> I don't remember her face. I, I remember the name, but not the face. I guess maybe I could like really think about it and try to remember the face, but it's probably not important. No. But anyway, so in conclusion, change your name if you want. Do do what you want. It's it's all totally mm-hmm. fine. But also, like, don't judge people for not changing their name or mm-hmm. for like a family where the husband changes the name to the wife's name. Yeah, I think that should mm-hmm. be done more often yeah. because in some cases. When the couple gets married, the wife has the cooler name. I think you should defer to the cooler last yes, name. Yes, I agree with that. If, I like that. If mm-hmm. in general, like, you know, so, uh, yeah, so we've, we've solved it. We've solved um, <laughs> name changing, the name changing question. Somebody should come up, though, with like, you know, like that startup that I said I like paid 120 bucks to that was supposed to help me change my name. Like somebody should actually do it, like in a way that actually works, because then... <laughs> I feel like it would be easier to make that choice. You know, paperwork would not be the reason you're not right. changing your name. Yes. Right. Right. Good point. But but uh, what I'll is what is a government without paperwork to justify its existence? You know, <sighs> what is bureaucracy if not just paperwork and all the people who have to process it? Okay. In the spirit of changing your name, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to do either Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty, whatever feels right to us as individuals. Okay, stick around. We'll be right back. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Okay, we are back. But before we get to our choice of Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty, um, we have a little bit of housekeeping. On the latest episode of Pod Save America, Joe Manchin fucks over the planet while Democrats try to make progress without him. Okay. Okay. Try is doing a lot of lifting. And former (laughs) Republican strategist Tim Miller joins the pod to talk about his new book that explains why so many of his friends and colleagues went full MAGA. Mm. Listen to new episodes of Pod Save America Tuesdays and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And on Keep It, writer and self-proclaimed Ram Kamasur Bolu Babalola is guest hosting. Listen in for her thoughts on Lizzo's new album and everything that is Benefer 2.0. Plus, they'll be joined by singer... Haley Kiyoko. Listen to new episodes of Keep It Every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, house has been kept. Let's get into it. Who wants to go first? See, this is all about choice today. Uh, Jaleesa, your face is biggest on my screen right now. So (laughs) do you want to do Sanity Corner or Petty first? I will do... I feel like because I'm in a very... 
you know, I'm in Mexico City and like I'm in a good mood. I will do a I feel petty because, you know, I don't want to rub it in everybody's face. Like how amazing my life is right now. So uh, it actually is not. It's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, But uh, I feel very petty about the iPad. And I know I've complained about Apple products before, perhaps in the last hysteria I was on. So clearly this is making me feel very, very petty. But so I'm traveling, right? And I don't want to bring my MacBook Pro because it's like heavier. And the whole point of me getting this iPad was to just be able to do like basic things like email and like get on a Zoom call or or things like this. And the stupid iPad, it doesn't have a place to plug in headphones. Because no. even the place where you, yeah, like the place where you put in the, like where you charge it is like yes. the newest kind of charger. So it's not even the headphones that w- would go into your iPhone. It's like USB-C. And I don't think there's USB-C headphones. So you can't plug in headphones to this stupid thing. Do you need a dongle? Uh, maybe, but that's like another dongle. Like not the normal dongle that you use yep. for your iPhone. It's like something else. The whole point of having the stupid um, smart magic keyboard thing that attaches to your iPad that costs a lot of money was so that it would be horizontal. That's and But so there's stupid. no horizontal <laughs> camera. Like where is Steve Jobs and why are, is Apple not designing <laughs> things properly well, anymore? He's, you know, there's a lot of debate about where where people go after after life is over. <laughs> He could be many places. Um, he's everywhere and nowhere. You've just sold me off the iPad train. I love. I actually, uh, counterpoint, love my iPad, but I'm not using it the same way that Julissa is trying to use hers. Um, Dan, what yes. are you feeling petty about or what is bringing you sanity this week? Your call. I will do I feel petty because hmm. um, I had one. I had a road trip uh, with my partner out to L.A. We drove from... Illinois to Los Angeles and went sort of like the northern path. So we went through Denver Mm -hmm. and all the deserts. And so the thing that I feel most petty about is golf courses in desert spaces. I can't stand it. Like to see a vast desert and then a big blob of green where only like one person can take up like 300 yards of space to hit a ball into a hole. I'm sorry. I think it's really dumb and I don't want to see it. I think it's a waste of water and not a good use of resources in a desert setting to have a huge golf course. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel. That's, that's what I feel about. That's reasonable. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, especially out here uh, in LA, we're dealing with a yeah. huge water shortage and yep. There's a lot of golf courses that have already been trying to use like more like efficient ways of watering the lawn, but there's only so much efficiency that can be used to justify their existence. I really think that in a lot of places, golf courses will be thought of on a mass scale as some boomer nonsense. I think so too. In the coming (laughs) years. Listen, Um, if I have to change my lawn to California native plants, then I feel like golf courses should just all have you know, whatever native plants are to the region that they're in. Why do they have to be green? I completely agree. Play in the terrain. Play in the sand. Oh, that's fun. You know what they have? There's like these little low pile um, succulents that you can get as ground cover that actually work as alternative lawns in California. Clover, also an alternative. I've talked about this on the show before. Um, And it'd be really fun if like golfers had to figure out how to play on like a bed of succulents. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like it would make the sport more interesting. It like, would make it so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm still not watching, but it would make it more interesting. Um, I'm going to go next because I have a sanity corner this week. Um, I want to talk about Nathan Fielder's new show. Have you been watching uh, Nathan Fielder's new show, The Rehearsal? No. no I heard it's all amazing. It is. Writing it down. It is It is created a new Venn diagram overlap section between psychological uh, existential fear and the funniest shit I've ever seen. It is like a mind fuck. It is cringe, but it's also so, so funny. Um and there's like a moment at the end of the first episode that when we were watching, it was like I've, I experienced a feeling of like terror, a like realization that the show had been leading up to this like giant bigger point. It's like so good. It is so good. Um, and Nathan Fielder is uh, truly a an icon for the moment that we're living in. Um, he's a, he's a comedic genius. Nathan for you is still holds up. It's still an incredible Mm -hmm. show. The episode where they made dumb Starbucks and tried to (laughs) try to pass that off as like legally allowable parody because they were a parody of Starbucks. It's really funny. It's so good. And, uh, the rehearsal is incredible and I don't want to give away too much of it and just think people should watch it. It's even if you're not somebody who really loves like cringe comedy, it's so much bigger and smarter than just like superficial cringy moments. It's so, so good. So that's my sanity corner for this week. There's only one episode, so you're going to have to really like live inside the genius contained within the one episode. But I think there's new episodes coming out every week. It's, it's incredible. Um, and that's my sanity corner. Uh, Alyssa, sanity or petty? I'm going sanity because you guys, Jenny Han is saving my summer. She, so one, I loved the summer I turned pretty. Like I loved it. I've watched the whole series twice. It's like exactly what I needed. I realize I'm a middle-aged white woman, but I don't really care. And on, I can just, you, can you give me like, what's, what is that? Yeah, show? yeah I need more. What? Oh my God. I, I the know. summer okay, I turned I pretty right is a story about these two families that go away every summer together. And this is the summer that everyone's blooming and blossoming. And oh, it's like very, okay. it's like set in a pretty place. And like, it's just super fun. You know, it's just like, I want to feel not heavy. And so this makes me feel not heavy. But then I was in the train station and I just decided to buy all of Jenny's books. And I'm currently reading It's Not Summer Without You. And I just, I wish they had this when I was growing up, but yes, it's my summer of YA. It's my YA summer. It's, it's, so the summer I turned pretty is like family, family friends on vacation, yeah. growing up in what is essentially little... Martha's Vineyard. Got it. Okay, mm, mm. so it's like teen, light teen drama. Sort yes, of? and like some adults okay, for good that. measure who I think are younger than me, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like on, on a lot of those shows, it's like the people playing the parents are like 42 and the people playing the, the teens are like 28. Are, they're like 33. It's like how Andrea Zuckerman <laughs> was when she when when Gabrielle Carteris was on 90210. She was really like 40. Oh, gosh. Well, good on her for hydrating and wearing sunscreen so that she could pass <laughs> as a as an elderly TV teen for as long as she <laughs> 
could. So that's all the show we have for today, guys. Um, this was a really fun one. Really enjoyed having you, Julissa and Dian. Thank you to Amanda Nguyen for stopping by and chatting with Alyssa and I. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Um, if our listeners want to get in touch, hysteria at crooked.com. We're still collecting stories of state-level wackadoodlery. So if you have something going on in your state that you want us to talk about on the show, send it in. And if you have any tips or ideas for future episodes, we love hearing from you. Best listeners, I think, in the biz, right? Totes. Mm-hmm. Confirmed, 100%. We love hearing from you. Reach out to us over email. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Alyssa and I both are on Twitter and we sometimes look at it. Also, uh, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, rate us, review us, and there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation fucked in it. But these girls can fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an Hysteria is a crooked media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com.